that uh, Microsoft expanded Dynamics. Oh, actually, quick follow-up. Um, in case anyone was confused, I think I noticed this at the time, but I just forgot to remind you. Well, I think last week or last time we recorded, you kept saying, um, kept calling the Dynamics CRM something else. Great Plains, maybe? I can't remember. And I knew what you meant. We were talking about the Microsoft CRM product. So if anyone got confused, that's, that's what that was. Was I really did you, did calling you catch it something that? else? Yeah, you were calling it. So what's so di- so CRM is part of. It used to be Great Plains, right? Yeah, you were calling it. Uh, I think you were calling it like one of the, like by the parent product or one of the. I don't know if you were calling it Great Plains or maybe you're saying Dynamics. I don't know. I could be wrong. So Dynamics is the CRM or is Dynamics like this family of solutions? Okay, hang on. CRM. Oh, it's CRM and ERP. So you have to be specific, like. Dynamics CRM or Dynamics ERP or both or whatever. Anyway, I don't know. Nitpicking my words. In case, well, no, I'm just like in case people <laughs> got confused about what we were talking about. We were talking about the CRM product. I will agree to that. ERP is just way too boring to even talk about. You thought CRM was boring. ERP is even more boring. That That's the uh, the the material having to do with like people's vacation time and tax allowances and all that fun stuff and annual reviews. <laughs> oh, I love <laughs> annual reviews. Don't you? Uh, I'll never be able to participate in that again. That's such a pointless morale reducing charade. I don't know. It has anything to do with morale. I think it has more to do with compliance and making sure that everyone's getting advanced fairly or at least considered fairly. Oh boy. I so strongly disagree with that. <laughs> really? I, yes. Do you, because so, the problem that most managers have when they do when they're doing their annual reviews is they're the managers are told, "Hey, you can only give ten percent of your staff five. You know, like on a one to five rating system, five being best. You can only give ten percent of your staff five. Well, what if you have like, what if half of your staff just totally rocked it? Now you have to figure out. And the reason is for budgeting purposes. Like that, you can't. You can only give. They only have so many raises to get. You know, money budgeted for raises. So you have to figure out how you tell the rest of these guys who just kicked total ass that. Uh, they were really only a three, and so they're just going to get a cost of living raise. It, it's such a game. It's uh, it's actually I think it's worse for managers than it is for just line people who are you know being reviewed. Um, who someone wrote a really nice like article, and I think it was I think it might have been Joel Spolsky, um, and it might be one of these that's like twelve years old now because he wrote so many great articles back in the day. Uh, anyway. Microsoft so dynamic CRM is now in seven or they they've added 17 countries. So, and I don't think that means physical footprint. I just think they can do business with dynamics in 17 new countries. They also added a data center in Brazil. So I'm not sure where their other data centers are for CRM. I would assume they've got one somewhere in the, you know, like in probably Western Europe and then maybe somewhere in uh, Asia, who knows, but yeah, yeah, man, they're, this is, this is becoming, Interesting. I, it seems like Microsoft is way more interested in, in their CRM business than like say Oracle is because you know, Oracle, they're, they're actually still pretty big in CRM, but I just, I don't hear as much about them. Um, I don't hear as much of, of them investing and, you know, shaking things up, but man, it sure seems like Microsoft is they're going after it. They're going after Salesforce. Yeah. I, I feel the same way about SAP too, because they've been trying to get their kind of, on-demand platform off the ground, and I don't think it's doing too well. They're still their bread and butter. Are still ERP. I don't think CRM is is doing that well. I think people use SAP's CRM because they have to. 
and even though I, I do have concerns that we've talked about, about, you know, Salesforce becoming an enterprise company. I mean, they're not, they're not near as bad as some of these, you know, older, truly enterprise companies that, that just make really terrible software, terrible for the people that have to use it. Good for, you know, the, probably the person who, uh, who made the decision to buy it, but bad for everyone who has to use it. And I think Salesforce still, I mean, you know, it's, it's inevitable as they move up market that they, they have to do things like they have to make decisions that are going to result in big purchase orders being signed. And that's, I think that's a really a classic reason why, you know, apex, this is one, you know, my biggest pet peeve apex doesn't have like namespaces. It's just not something that the people signing POs are uh, asking for, but it's something that a lot of us people who are stuck building things, on this platform ha- or having to deal with, but I'm not the decision. I'm not the one who decides for companies to, to, uh, to go with Salesforce. So I think that's I, true. I think that's true of, you know, companies that are buying the CRM portion, but what about those companies that are trying to build app exchange products or trying, you know, basically on the ISV side of things? I mean, they're, they're absolutely screaming for that stuff. I think some of them are, I still think the vast majority of them are, are not sophisticated enough for this to even be something that, they are even aware that is a problem. And I think a lot of Salesforce customers are that way too. You know, again, this is where this is, you know, Salesforce developers are the modern VB developers and the, you know, more, not, not that that's even an advanced language feature, but you know, you give them more advanced features that are designed for, you know, building, building more scalable, scalable and modular apps. And they, they wouldn't know what to do with them. You know, the majority. Now you do have a small, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of smart people building Salesforce apps and that work for, you know, Salesforce oriented consulting companies that, that are really smart and that could, could use that. And some of, some of us are asking for these things, but it's just, it's a, it's overall, it's a very small number. And that's what Salesforce has even said is it's, we just have so few customers that are asking for this. It's really not even, we don't, it's not on a road. We, we know about it. We understand what you're saying, but we, it's not on our roadmap. Like, okay. <laughs> That's surprising. Cause I, I thought at some point they were considering it, but I mean, things change. Of course they always have their safe Harbor to hide behind. Well, a safe Harbor is when they actually tell you what they're going to do, but they have to tell you, they have to, you know, disclaim the safe Harbor so that you don't hold them to it. But right. Yeah. I don't know. And we, you know, um, I don't know. These MVPs still swear that there's things that are coming that, it will make me happy. So we'll see. I don't know when those are supposed to be coming. Probably Dreamforce. We'll hear about it. Yeah, I'm sure we'll hear a lot about it in Dreamforce, but we probably won't see it until what winter. I guess that's what's next. Yeah, maybe. But uh, yeah, um, back to the enterprise thing. I mean, I think Salesforce. I don't know. I hope they're careful and mindful about that. They. I still think they have a strong focus compared to their competitors, or at least their big competitors, on on user experience. You know, it's definitely not perfect, and we've talked about things and just how there's so many screens in Salesforce that are just they're just old school, you know, full page refresh types things, and it just makes it just makes Salesforce a lot slower than what it would have to be. But that being said, I mean, if you look at again, go look at uh, Oracle CRM or even Siebel or what's the um what's this other smaller one uh, like SalesLogic or anything like that. Yeah, just I mean, Salesforce really is. I think overall user experience wise quite a bit better than those. Uh, I still have customers that 
really don't like Salesforce from a UI perspective. And well, what do they? Is there something they prefer? Well, or this just, one particular one prefers Squid. Oh, okay. So they're well, basically layering on Squid on top of it to be able to create the type of interfaces they want. So, yeah. And if you're going to go through to the, say, you're talking about in that case doing something that you're you're building your own interfaces, right? And that's fair enough, especially if you need, you know, really customized um, interfaces, or if, if you've got people that are doing some like that are in, in a contact center and they're, they're, they're having to work really quickly and they need a, a very cu- um, customized like screen flow or something. Um, I think it makes sense to do something like squid or even, I mean, at least Salesforce gives you the tools to whether it's visual force or whether you just use or canvas or, or even if you just use visual force, you don't necessarily use any of the, the visual force components. You just use it as a way to bootstrap your own, you know, handlebars, bootstrap, you know, ionic system or whatever whatever you're doing you know you can you can do that too so at least there's the option there if you do need a really custom thing and you're willing to build it you you can but if you're not going to do that and you just you're interested in the you know vanilla salesforce it's um it's it's again i think better than most of its competitors i think where they'll where they'll have to be careful is on the small and medium business which i think is the most likely thing to start getting ignored um and there's some interesting small CRMs that just look great and do certain things way better than Salesforce does. Um, email and certain just integrations and stuff out of the box. Um, Salesforce, I, you know, I don't know how important it is or how much financial consequence there would be, but I mean, they could they could lose a lot of that business to smaller players. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they react to that. I, I'm just really curious about what's going to be at Dreamforce and and how you know how they're going to attack this UI issue because I think we're definitely overdue for a UI refresh and mobile is influencing a lot of web applications nowadays. And I, I, I'm really curious to see what their answer is to that. Well, they are, I think they are, um, from my understanding, working on a major UI refresh. And I think it's going to be based on, um, what's it called? Aura, Aura, mm-hmm. which is the, that's the, that's what they used to build Salesforce one. Right. It's like a, um, kind of like an HTML five component library, mm-hmm. you know, app framework thingy. I also saw, maybe this was, I think this was in the, one of those open source articles that we're going to talk about, but they, um, they're planning on at some point soon going into pilot on, you can build your own like aura components. Hmm. Yeah. That, uh, that are you, so you you can basically build your own Salesforce one components that are kind of native Salesforce one type stuff. That sounds promising. That'll be really nice. Yeah. Cause right now, I mean, the Salesforce one stuff. I've, I mean, I've not, I haven't done much with Salesforce one. I've, uh, I've done, so I've had, I've made some things kind of more Salesforce one compatible, just more, um, I guess, uh, what's the word responsive so that they work well in Salesforce one, but it's still just like, it looks the visual force page <laughs> looks exactly the same as it, on the phone as it does in the browser. It's just more small. It's smaller. It doesn't look like Salesforce one. It works. It just looks like it. It just looks like it doesn't belong, which is I know when your big pet peeves, right? When things don't look, and that's even like three removed, right? Because Salesforce One doesn't look anything like the underlying uh, platform, right? Yep. Yeah, <laughs> and then now I and now I'm putting, you know, kind of vanilla Visual Force apps on top of Salesforce One. So now, now not only do not, the apps I'm writing, not only do they not look like Salesforce One, but they don't look like the OS either. They just it's just this big hodgepodge of different UI themes and conventions yeah it is a peeve of mine i would prefer 
you know, any customizations that I'm able to do. Unless, you know, the customer ties my hand and they want it to look a very specific way, I usually tend to try and make it look as native as possible as so the user doesn't really notice it. I really hate using the application and then being in one part of the application and going to the other part and it's just completely different. It looked like it was designed by someone completely different. Or it even looks like a mashup because you see the, you know, the artifacts from the other system. And that really bugs me. So I, I strive to not do that. Um, but you know, sometimes it's unavoidable. Yeah. But speaking of UI stuff, I have a lot of updates from Squid. Okay. They have some really good stuff coming out. So on the news front, they they're expanding. So I forgot where they're at right now. Are they in Austin or Houston or something like that? Something like that. Um, but now they're going to open an office in San Francisco, and they just hired a new guy, uh, Mike Densing. Well, this, they opened an office in San Francisco, so th- so it's easier for Salesforce to buy them. Remember, <laughs> this is my prediction. Yes, yes, this is your See? prediction, and it's it's coming true. Yep, and one of the things they know is work closer closer with Salesforce. So so who knows? Uh, but yeah, they hired him. He used to he used to be senior VP of engineering at Mindjet, and I believe Mindjet was a online mind mapping application. I believe. Um, but anyways, he's he's joining the team. He's basically going to be managing that office and kind of give them a presence out there and, of course, help help them more with their development and all that kind of stuff. Um, but along with that, they also changed the logo. So the logo what is, is a... What is it, S-K-U-I-D? Let me search for them. Yep. The number one user interface toolkit for Salesforce One. <laughs> so now the the logo, I mean, you can always go online and see it. But oh, that's cool. Um, it's like a little creature. Hanging, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. it actually serves multiple metaphors. So you've got the U and then the I merged together. So you have a UI. Then you have the squid, which kind of ties in with the name and gives people a little bit of a cue of how to say squid. I remember yeah. when I first brought it to you, it was, it was some of the funny things. Squid. 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 That was one of the things that was there. So. So now they got the two eyes and the hand, but if you look at it, it actually looks like a hand as well. So they're tying that metaphor in with some of their mobile touch-based interfaces that you can create with Squid. At some point, you start mixing your metaphors, and it loses all integrity, though. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think what they did is they like, oh, let's stick a squid on there, so everyone knows. And they go, oh, look, it looks like a hand. Let's look, that means this too. And so I think it was just one of those happy coincidences that caused it, or maybe they were really insightful and thought this all the way through, but. Um, it's a, it's a cool logo. I mean, it didn't change it too much. It's still the U and the I, but at least you get that little character. Um, they're also saying that it, that squid is going to be their mascot. Um, and so you can go out to the squid community and apparently I haven't found it yet, but I'll try to put it in the show notes is, um, you can go and kind of toss up name ideas for their mascot. Oh, and see what they'll do. They'll have a big suit made so that at Dreamforce, uh, the squid and sassy can, uh, you know, dance around the floor together. Hey, that sounds that sounds like plausible. So, so if you had to come up with a mascot name, what what would it be for for old Squiddy? Oh gosh, what what are? Um, I, I think Squiddy is probably going to be an obvious one on the list. Squiddy, how about calamari? <laughs> You'd be tasty. <laughs> I don't know if he wants to associate the mascot with people eating it, but <laughs> I know. Yeah, Although I I bet you a hundred bucks if they have a party. There's going to be squid and seafood. There's going to be calamari. That, that's just wrong, though. That's just again. Oh no, that's what that's what they'll serve when they at the party where they announce that Salesforce is buying squid. Salesforce is eating squid, so they'll have calamari there for like the press people and everyone to munch on while they uh, have their little party. <laughs> Pop the champagne corks. Uh, I, you know what? I'm sure uh, calamari and champagne would go really well together. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Telling you, I like I like calamari. It's pretty good. 
Um, you know what the key to cooking calamari is, right? Uh, don't overcook it. Yeah. So you either have to cook it for, it's like two minutes or two hours. Anything past two minutes, it starts getting really rubbery. So if you ever get rubbery calamari, they cooked it too long. Mm-hmm. Or if you're going to, if it's going into a dish, that's going to be like slow simmered or, or a while, you know, for a while. Then that's now that's you're into a really long-term commitment here because it, it goes from rubbery to, and then it starts, um, t- you know, softening back up again. Right. Yep. Culinary oh, tips. And this then is, this is why people listen to our podcast. Yeah. So they learn how to cook <laughs> and drink. That's true. <laughs> um, and, but that's not all. We actually have a squid summer 14 release coming up and I believe it's for the end of the month. Um, there's not too much information on, the, on it other than an email I got for them that highlighted some features. And it's almost as if they've been listening to the good day, sir podcast. Well, we um, know they do. <laughs> cause, right? cause a lot of, a lot of the things on here are things that we complained about. Um, so one of my big complaints was that it, the theming, I didn't like the theming. I didn't like the theme. I'd actually prefer something that's more Salesforce looking, feeling all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm not sure that they did that, but they did create the option for themes. So now they're, they're saying that they're going to have more themes. I don't know if you'll be able to create your own or what, what you'll be able to do, but you'll be able to choose from a modern, a paper and a squid classic, which is what you have today. The paper sounds interesting because I think that'll be a much more modern, flat style feeling, um, kind of very iOSy in, yeah, in maybe kind of like its minimalism. Car- maybe some like cards that look like you know how one of those things, one of the kind of the UI uh, metaphors nowadays is like the card almost sitting on a, and there's just like the slightest hint of a drop shadow on yeah. it, so it looks like a card sitting on a on a white table. And modern, my only guess would be maybe something Google like, maybe with a lot of grays and subtle gradients and things like that. Um, that's kind of my guess on what those might look like. Um, there, there's also supposed to be some kind of mechanism for applying the, your themes to different pages. I'm not sure if you'll be able to have a different theme for each page, but that's what it seems like because they added in the features, um, the ability to deploy a theme for all your pages or by profile. So I'm not sure what that exactly means. Um, they're adding some keyboard shortcuts, which, I don't really have a need for, but I can see how that would be beneficial. Um, it would just make the system much easier to use and quicker to be able to find your own shortcut keys. My only problem with that is that a lot of times people will override a critical key, like they'll override a control C or something like that. So I'm not sure if there's, they're doing something to prevent those kind of things. Yeah. Cause you know, so many Salesforce users are always uh, control seeing out of their bash scripts and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> control C's copy. Uh, oh, that's that's right. And Windows <laughs> on Windows, yeah, you're right. Yeah, Forget about that. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, so you're so you're you got your Mac mindset on. Yeah, I'm thinking. The only thing Control C does on my computer is uh, the uh, whatever the the break signal is that a is that an interrupt? I think it is. Right. I don't know. I don't know. Um, so it's so another one I'm excited about. And again, I don't have much details, but it's it's perform multiple actions based on button clicks and model changes without code. Now that's pretty big because right now what I have to do is kind of implement a global listener method in JavaScript. And when the page loads, it it kind of kicks that off and it basically just kind of hooks into all the events that they have. And then it'll, I just kind of have to just use it just like any other kind of message monitoring queuing system is just look for a message that I want to consume, consume well, it. Use, do use something like um, the delegated event handlers. So jQuery has that. So you could, you could put an event handler on body, but you can also tell jQuery that you want to, um, within that, you're only interested in, you know, events from this component or, or, you know, using the normal jQuery selectors. 
Yeah, that much is true. But what I'm talking about specifically is some of the models and things like that that are built into it. So whenever you change a, a data element in the system, um, it, that triggers an update to the model. And you can hook into their methods that, that kind of broadcast that out to, to kind of hand, you know, when they update this model, I want to do X, Y, Z. Or when they save, I want to do X, Y, Z. Um, and so I've used those a lot to kind of create some dynamic elements on the screen, like whenever they pick something, set some defaults, or just run some action. Um, and it's been really error-prone and, and takes a lot of time to develop because I'm kind of trialing and erroring it to see what's working and what's not. So hopefully something that's a little more encapsulated and supported will will make things a lot easier. Um, another one, and this is, this is, again, hitting on one of the, my big pain points, is, is deployments. Um, so they're supposed to create this package system. Um, now I don't know if that's going to be a package system kind of like change sets is where you can say, I want to deploy these to this environment and then they'll do the work of, you know, connecting that environment and pushing it up. Or if it's just going to be something really simple where I can say, give me this page, this page, this page, download a zip and then import that into the other system. Um, I'm hoping it's the first one, the the one, that first one I mentioned where you can kind of create a package and actually deploy it. Um, cause that you know, kind of reduces any kind of error, you know, copying the wrong thing or, you know, importing the wrong thing. So I'm really hopeful that that's something that's really nice and, and kind of a little more automated than just shuffling zip files around. And then of course they added the ability to share these packs. So you should, and I think this will help the community as well because you'll be able to kind of create some code or create a page. And right now what you kind of do is you kind of paste the code up to the community, paste the XML up to the community site. There's no really good sharing mechanism i guess you could always you know upload the xml to git or something and share it that way um, but i think this will be a more kind of a, a way of actually creating your own components and solutions for things hmm. yeah it's like um almost like um apt-get or maven or um what else does packages you know, like ruby gems or something right like some common package format that you can kind of de- here's my here's my package deploy to the is it so? Is it just like a sharing community type of thing? Yeah, yeah. It'll it'll just be a way to kind of package these up and share them. I'm not sure if they'll have a full fledged you know community built around it, but the mechanism will be there for you to be able to say, "Hey, I built this really cool thing," or someone's asking for help, and you just do a really quick proof of concept and send it to them. Is there any way to do dependencies? Like you can say, "Hey, here's my package," and it depends on you know this package A and package B. So if you if I want yours, which is C, it you know downloads package A and B first, installs those, and then and then C. Yeah, I don't know. Right now, I just have a one line sentence that's describing that you can share packages. Oh, okay. So, yeah, as we get yeah. more details, I'll yeah. I'll look into that because that that would be promising. Um, yeah. I don't know if they would have gone that far with with the first release though. Right. Um, and then the last the last major thing that they had to mention, which. I don't know if I like or if I'm concerned about, but it's it's actually pretty cool. You, you'll be able to create um, tables within tables. Uh, I think they're calling they're calling it a table drawer. So if you have a record and you have some related data to it, you'll be able to display that. So if you had say an account and you want to see the contacts, you should be able to include that in your table and build it out. And then someone could click on the count row and below it would show up all the contacts in another table that's kind of indented, yeah. kind of like a tree table or something yep. along those lines. Um, those I'm are, afraid of it because that's a lot of data and it's going to increase the markup, which means the page is probably going to be slow. And if, if people aren't kind of managing how much data they're pushing, I think it could be problematic, but it is a nice it, feature. When, so when you expand like one of the parent records, does it, does it already have all that child data or does it go grab it, you know, the child data for that 
parent real quick. That would be interesting to see what the actual implementation is. My my thought is that what you're probably end up doing is creating a model that has a subquery, which you can do today, that has a subquery on it, and that all gets loaded all at once. So it's probably already going to be there. Um, so it'll actually kind of be there in the background for the records that you have loaded. Um, that could also mean larger page sizes, which could be problematic if you have a lot of data. Now, the way Squid kind of gets around that is it really makes heavy use of the limit statement. So it, it by default sets a limit so that you know your table only fills up with a certain amount of data and it supports paging. And as it runs past a page that you don't have loaded, it'll go ahead and do the requerying and you know all that kind of stuff. So cool. That's about it. I mean, there's some webinars coming up this month that will go into deeper on all the features and everything that I'll be looking at and hopefully providing updates on. But yeah, exciting stuff. Yeah, it sounds like they're innovating. They <clears throat> they must be doing pretty well. I would I would imagine there's. It seems like this is something that it would be if done right. It seems like they're doing it fairly well. Would be a pretty successful idea. I've always thought they've done it. I've always thought that the way they implemented was great and I always thought they did, did the right thing. I mean, there's some things about it that were quirky or that I didn't like, or that I wanted more flexibility on, but for the most part, they, they did it well and I'm still able to kind of get things done. Um, the easy part of setting up the pages and getting that is there. And now I'm starting to get into, well, I've been getting into a lot more JavaScript stuff and, you know, a little more developer centric stuff in terms of automating things or reacting to events on the system on the page. So my knowledge base is increasing on it. Um, but it's good to see that they're still advancing it and that, that that says a lot. I mean, their community is still very active. You can get on there and get responses pretty quickly still. Cool. Uh, so the this marketing war has continues to escalate. Um, Oracle bought TOA Technologies. You ever heard of them? Nope. TOA. We're, we're TOA. Or TOA Technologies. Toe and Align. Toe Align. Toe at. Toe Technologies. Uh, they, so they're one of these. What do they do? I, I'd never even heard of them. They, it's one of these marketing things. Um, maker of software for companies centered around. Oh, no, I'm sorry. This is not a marketing thing. This is field services. Okay. So this is like, have you heard of Service Max, which is like a Salesforce bolt on? Uh, um, yes, I you have know some, heard of it. You actually, you know some people that work there. <clears throat> anyway. I do, don't I? You do. Um, so they, so it's all about field service. So like, you know, you uh, need to dispatch a technician and, and have a part shipped to the, wherever they're going and to fix someone's copy machine or their air conditioner or computer or something, right? So, you know, service max and I guess this TOA technologies, TOA, um, that's what they do. But what's interesting, uh, at least I thought was interesting about this, is uh, how these companies are bringing in like all these third party applications. Like, is that really core to Oracle field service? Maybe it is. I mean, maybe that's to me, you know, they're saying it's kind of a part of ERP. Well, not really. That's ERP. ERP is about managing your own company and, you know, field service management is about managing your like outgoing services. And I, and I know there's, I mean, these things, it's not like they're, uh, there's a, cleanly drawn line between these things like they overlap and I, still, I would think it's more on the crm side of things than anything i mean yeah. it makes sense that salesforce has service max i mean it it makes sense to that if you're going to put that with with sale with the crm it makes sense especially especially with mobile because you're you have your mo, you have your field out in the mobile in, in the you know on site and then they have their mobile devices and they're interacting with that way it makes sense to to kind of manage your client and your appointments all in one 
Yeah, it's just you know Salesforce they they have a couple of partners that do that, and and uh, Oracle's now just bought this company, so it's going to be part of Oracle. I, don't know, I find it interesting. Um, supposedly, so TOA's claim to fame is its algorithms. Uh, so, like you know, f- figuring out when to send a rep and how many calls to schedule for someone in a day and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I can see that being pretty big intellectual property. I mean, that's that's tough to figure out is is to manage a schedule, figure out especially if it takes into account travel time and routes and all that kind of stuff. I bet it involves a lot of big data. (laughs) Uh, Wouldn't you think though? Yeah. Like just, I don't know, churning through a ton of data and like to, to surface the right patterns and, and met or not metrics, but I don't know, um, thresholds and things for determining what all those numbers should be in terms of like, scheduling times and frequencies and I don't know. So Oracle, again, bringing in the, uh, of course, Salesforce is doing the, you know, is this not a vertical? I guess it's really not a vertical, uh, vertical to be like a you know, transportation or, I mean, I guess it could be part of us. The certain, no, this is a professional services vertical, right? Or, or the service vertical. So I don't know. This it's a vertical play. That's what the uh, experts would say. I think it's a sweet sweet spot for CRM, especially with everyone trying to make sure they have a, a mobile market share out there. I mean, it apparently is because you know ServiceMax, as far as I can tell, seem to be doing really well, and I think they are completely hitched to Salesforce. I I don't know that there's even a standalone ServiceMax. I think it's you either have Salesforce if you want ServiceMax, or you're going to get it. It's not a bad position. I mean, the Salesforce is pretty big; it's got a large customer base, and a lot of them do service customers in the field. I can't, I can't think of any major company that doesn't have some sort of field service. Yeah. That's just, God, that's something I want nothing to do with field service. You mean as, as a job or <laughs> it figuring out the algorithms Everything. to manage that whole Everything. schedule? Well, no, that would be cool. Actually. I just don't want to be involved in now. Now do these algorithms, do, do they, do they kind of do the whole, is that why we have to kind of like, the guy won't come between you have to be at your house between eight and <laughs> 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. That's a poor algorithm. <laughs> that's a lazy algorithm. So, so hopefully these algorithms are better than that. And, and hopefully our service, our customer service as consumers will improve. That's a, that's these. a way of, that's a way of companies saying we value our time way more than we value your time. Yeah. <laughs> Although which I, I want to say not how to be a customer company. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I want to say that's getting better. I mean, the last few times I've had someone come by the house for something, yeah, you know, they they were within an hour of, of when they said they'd be here, either on one side or the other. Um, so I don't know. That's good. Yeah, I had a good experience with the Direct TV this week, but the window was like eight to twelve, and the guy was here by like nine, which was fine because I'm really not ready for visitors before nine anyway. Still in your PJs. Yep. I mean, you know, figured I should at least put pants on. <laughs> I'm sure they appreciate that too. Yeah. Um, have you heard of sales reach? No. Yeah. I so Salesforce not. launched sales reach, which is, I guess a combination of like, uh, pardot, pardot, pardot me, ma'am. Uh, I don't, I still don't know how to say that. It's a combination of pardot and something else. Uh, let's see combining pardot, uh, maybe with buddy or something. I can't remember. Um, but they called it sales reach. I didn't, I must've missed this. I haven't yeah, heard, I, I haven't heard it. of it. <laughs> Let's see, combining Pardot marketing software, sales, 
automation application and social communities platform into a new product called SalesReach, which it says can help salespeople nurture leads and make deals in real time versus, I, I don't know, as, you know, asynchronous or delayed or fake time or something. I don't even know what that means. Um, strike while the iron's hot. Oh, you can see, like, you can see when someone opens your, your PowerPoint that you sent them and, uh, you know, as soon as they open it, you, you know, you call them five minutes later. So, so their business is big brother. It's yeah. It's just really like super creeping on, on your prospects. I'm sick of this. This internet of customers completely creeps me out. I, I went to their website and their logo has like a dollar sign in the logo. That's so cheesy. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> sales reach. Yeah. And it, it, it says sales reach software. And then it has like a little, unless, unless I found the wrong one, but it has uh, a little dollar sign behind it. I wonder if that may not be Salesforce. Oh, so, well, this, okay, so this is a telecom insurance and managed services apps for users of Salesforce. Really? Okay. So, let me read you this first sentence again. Salesforce is combining its Pardot marketing software, Salesforce automation application, and social communities platform into a new product called SalesReach. Do we have a, a trademark? And speaking of that, let me, let me, this is a great segue into my next thing which is Salesforce is getting sued for trademark infringement on a completely separate, I think, hang on. Yeah. On a completely separate product. But this is interesting though, that sell <laughs> there's a, there's a Salesforce oriented company called sales reach. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So is this different than what you, this is different. Wow. So Salesforce recently launched a new product called social studio. In spite of the fact that an existing competing product had already used that name for years. Uh, marketing software vendor Strongview Systems alleges in a new trademark infringement lawsuit. So Salesforce is a lot bigger than this, this other company, but yeah. So Social Studio. This is what I was thinking of earlier. Get my my wire my streams crossed here. Well, they might have another one on the way then with Social yeah, Reach. I know Social Studio or Sales com- Reach. Social Studio combines Radian Six with Buddy Media content. At least they're starting to integrate these products. That kind of makes sense. Social Studio, yeah. So, so there's a competitor product already called that. I, I, I'm sure Salesforce. Well, it's not really a competitor. It looks like a an app exchange that sits on Salesforce to do this stuff. You talking about Social Studio? No, SalesReach. Oh, okay. You're talking yeah. about okay. Yeah, we're getting our wires crossed. <laughs> we are. I have not left the train station of SalesReach yet. I'm still right. I'm still stuck on that. Um, yeah, Strongview says their business has already been harmed by Salesforce's actions. Um, so I think this is, I think Salesforce knew what they were doing when they picked this name and they expected to get sued. And what will happen is Salesforce will just settle with them, you know, pay them, you know, I don't know, a few million bucks to, to get the name. Is it a competing? Yes. That's what it said. It is actually a competing product. Salesforce made us buy them. I don't know. Maybe they tried to and they couldn't get it. Or maybe they tried to buy the name, buy the trademark, and they wouldn't sell them the trademark. Mm, I, I would think that if they... Ah, that doesn't make sense, though. I, 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 I would say that they found out after the fact and one of the options would probably be to buy them. Boy, they have really bad legal research, if that's the case. No. There's no way they could launch a new brand, a new product name, and not... Number one, not trademark it themselves, but also not search the trademark database. Or not just do a web search, but it's their competitor. Of course, they knew about them. I agree. It's weird. It. I don't want to say weird. It's. Uh, it's dumb. It's confounding. Yeah, maybe it's one of those things where they decided they like the name. They're going to do it anyways and see if the other guy notices. And if they do, then we'll deal with it. Yeah. Um, Salesforce joined the BSA. 
Aren't those the guys that sue you if you, you know, download a copy of Windows XP illegally or something? So, sales, there's no software at Salesforce. How can they be part of a software alliance? Yeah, no software. <laughs> uh, that's that's got to be going away, that no software thing. It just doesn't make any sense. Because the distinction between software that is running on, I, I don't know. We've talked about this. Just because it's a software as a service doesn't mean it's not. I mean, it's, it's software as a service. It's software. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's a bit of a, I don't know what the right word. Anyways. Yeah, I think that I think that little phrase was cute and served them for a while, but I, Seems like are they? I don't know, seems like they're putting that one to bed. I mean, it's a it's a shortened form of no software to install or no on site software. But I think we all know what they meant by it. But yeah. if we if we look at its face value and take it literally, it, it's kind of funny. But I don't know why they would join the BSA. I don't know what all the BSA does though. Maybe they do other stuff to help software companies. Well, aren't they just kind of a central repository and a place for people to kind of report people who? are using unlicensed software. Yeah. You remember seeing the ads like, uh, you know, is your company, they've tried to get you to write on your employer. Is yeah. your company yeah. illegally installing copies of windows? Well, software, I mean, Salesforce could have that issue as well. I mean, they have, there's some clients out there who are running off a couple of licenses and really shouldn't be. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, that, I mean, if you can do that, I mean, but you're not going to get near as much value out of the system. And so if you're, if you're not, paying for more than a couple of licenses, you're not going to get, you're not going to get much more value out of that than that. It's kind of a, it's kind of a beautiful thing, actually. I, I just don't think Salesforce has to worry that much. I think the only times they do is when, if people were trying to use Salesforce, just like a, maybe a data storage thing only, and they just bought like one license and, you know, just slamming it with API or something. But still, you know, if you only have one license, what do you get like 5,000 yeah, API yeah, calls? Yeah, a lot of limits are based on at least those, those API limits are based on how many users you have. Right. So it's, it's, it's kind of hard to abuse Salesforce. Yeah. Darn it. <laughs> Darn it. Uh, All right. So I have a few, I don't know if we're gonna have time. So I have a few, they're kind of short, but a few clips that are just, um, yeah, somewhat, uh, applicable and kind of funny. Um, but we also are going to talk about open source. What are, where are we at? So we're at 40 minutes. Maybe I should save the clips. How about one? Can you do one? Mm. or they all have to, they're all part of one story. I, let me do a short one here. So this is uh from the uh, giga own podcast called Str- the structure show. And it's Barb Darrow who um, she covers like cloud stuff and even Salesforce some. Um, and it's um, Dan Lyons who has been like a tech reporter forever. And he did, he was the one behind the fake Steve jobs, Twitter account. I don't know if you remember that from like, Gosh, that was at least five years ago. But it was really funny. He it was really well done, and no one knew at the time it was him. Anyway, they were um, talking about like these tech-oriented TV shows, like Halt and Catch Fire, which is about you know the start of the PC industry. Um, and I guess Dan is, I think he consults for some of these tech-related shows, and he's even involved in making a show of some sort, um, like a TV show. Uh, but they were talking about like how to make stuff funny. <laughs> and uh well let me i think that's probably good enough of a setup let me play this um i would like to meet i mean i think you can make it funny but it's it's in a weird way but um after going to dreamforce last year i thought oh my god uh that could be dreamforce could be funny uh, that that in itself was kind of like a clown show and i just thought it was amazing amazing spectacle but uh <laughs> 
uh, a clown show, an amazing spectacle. <laughs> yeah, that's not lost on us. We are so excited! Boy, it, it isn't it isn't it just a three ring circus? Yeah, it, just, it, is, it is a big event. There's... Except it's a one hundred million dollar circus. That's the only difference. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, what do you think the budget for Dreamforce is? Uh, I don't even want to know. Millions. I mean, yeah, how many people go, right? If, what is it? Let's say it's 120000 Let's assume on average people paid you know, $700 for a ticket. But I don't, I don't is think... Is that really... That's $85 million just right there. But I don't, I don't think they're <laughs> making money off Dreamforce. They're still spending a ton of money on it. But. So I was talking to someone the other day who isn't necessarily in a position to know um, for sure whether they're making money, but had done some run some pretty good numbers and thinks that Salesforce is uh, is now making money off Dreamforce. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think that's not a, think, that's not a bad thing. I mean, it's not a bad I don't, setup. No, to no. Hold I mean, a conference I, that big and still oh. still come out on top. Hey, if you can convince people to uh, to pay a thousand dollars to come free, to come to your cult, you know CRM cult uh, revival every year, then good. That's that's a, that's a free market, man. I mean, I mean, at, of course, you know the Kool Aid does change the way you think, so maybe that's not very fair. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see when you get there how, how much the Kool Aid. Oh, you're supposed changes to laugh at my jokes, John. I no, I'm just saying. Just I, like, I want you to go. And I want to see what your what the Kool Aid does to you. <laughs> I'm still thinking of going, but I don't know. I if, just, you, if you get drunk with the Kool-Aid. I'm really afraid that I'll go to like an opening keynote and just get really, uh, uh, it will not be fun. And then I'll sit in my Airbnb for the rest of the time and just work. <laughs> and I looked through the sessions and that would be a looked, waste. At least go and none of the sessions good and bad sessions. Even if it's bad, go to, so you can talk about how bad it was and how we can do it better. I think the main reason I would go is because I know a lot of people that are going, so it'd be a cool opportunity to just to catch up with a lot of people who I haven't seen in a long time. And I would also get to meet a lot of people who I only know through like Twitter and stuff um, that I would love to meet in person. So yeah, that would be fun. I don't know. I'm thinking about it. All right, let's do this. Uh, Open so, source. Yeah. Oh, shit. So this is your thing. So I'll let you kick it off. It's not my thing. I dropped my iPad. <laughs> is that what that slamming <laughs> noise was? That's what it was. That's I'm proud that I'm using my iPad for, for our show and I drop it. Yeah. So Salesforce in the last week came out with three articles on open source. And I actually think they're really good. Um, they're really short reads. So you're not getting a ton of detail, but you get some exposure into some of the things that they're using, some of the tools. And we've talked about it before Salesforce being a closed system, but it's a closed system made up of a lot of open source. Um, and they've, they've started contributing some things to the community as well. Um, there was a couple of things in some of the articles that I highlighted that I thought would we could talk about. Um, what I find interesting, especially in the part one, the first article, is they do talk about using a lot of commercial software when they started out, um, and then eventually moving into proprietary, or I'm sorry, into open source systems, uh, mainly because they want they would come across a bug or a limitation in that commercial software, and the vendor wouldn't wouldn't help them out, wouldn't do anything. So I, I, sorry, but I have to stop you already just to point out the irony, <laughs> the irony in this. I know that that was my response too. When I read that part, it was like, Oh, this, this, I, I wonder if this is resonating. Um, well, but they are, they are adding more of their tools to open source. So maybe, I don't know, but into the case. So the story is that, yeah, that, that one of their key reasons for going open source is to be able to control your own destiny. Because if there's a bug or something in the, or a new feature you need added, 
if it's open source, you can fork it, you can modify it, you can you know, fix the bug and, and contribute it back to the community. You know, there's a lot of, you know, flexibility there versus, you know, a closed system where you basically have to go and beg and say, hey, we're a big customer. Can you fix this for us? And yeah, the irony is you can't go to Salesforce and say, hey, we're a big customer. Can you fix this for us? Yeah, it's I'm, I'm surprised that this article got, even got approved because it really slams Salesforce's own model. I mean, what is when you run across a bug and, you know, I think I think Salesforce has periods of where you don't see as many, you know, bad bugs. And then sometimes it just seems like, you know, they'll do a release and it'll there'll be so many, especially if you have a large code base. And and some of these guys that work on the really big, like the really big ISVs, um, they they have so much test coverage and things that they, you know, they, they see so many of these bugs really quickly after release. But, <clears throat> you know, what is your. And let's say, you know, uh, I think the big ISVs, especially the ones that are partly owned by Salesforce, they've probably got some pretty decent paths into Salesforce to get that addressed. But what about guys like us? You know, we're independent or work for small companies. But we're still doing really important stuff and still building pretty big stuff for, for important Salesforce customers. What is, what is our recourse when we run across a, an important bug? Log, log a ticket? Deal with uh, level one support. If you're lucky, you might have uh, what is it, uh, premium support or gold or whatever it's called, which really doesn't actually help that much. I mean, I've got horror stories about um, companies that couldn't even basically save a new Apex or Visual Force uh, object in their system for for six months, and it got escalated. I mean. You know, after they after you go through the thing of, of weeks of them trying to point out some way that you're doing something wrong, weeks. Uh, you know, then it finally at some point supposedly gets escalated to R and D. There's you know research and development, which I don't know what that means. It probably just some kind of engineering group that works on support stuff. And then uh, you just hear nothing, and there's no updates. And and you know, if you're lucky, like three months later when they fix it, you might they might uh, update your case and say, hey, by the way, we, we fixed this, but. Usually not. So I know, that's my experience. Yeah. And that was just one part of the article. I found the irony to be extremely funny. Um, but anyways, moving on from that, um, another point that they were talking about was scalability and how they, how they kind of worked out their scalability. They're actually using, um, I think, Apache Solar, um, and they're mainly using it because of its ability to horizontally scale. And I thought it was interesting because whenever I think of scale, I always think about beefing up a server or you know just adding more hardware to it um, to try and make it, you know, handle more transactions. But that's not this kind of scalability that they needed. Ultimately, what they needed is is to be able to kind of distribute that work out to many computers versus trying to get one to build trans, you know, run more transactions. Yeah. Um. And it, it 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 kind of got me thinking about you know when whenever I say scalability, what does that mean? I think we always kind of assume you know tacking on more hardware to something to get it to scale. Um. It. But I think that mindset's changing now with all these cloud computing systems and everything that we're starting to think of more horizontally when we talk about scaling. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Actually, I was just, I had a flashback to, I don't know if you listened to in the early days of the Stack Overflow podcast, but they would talk about a lot of details. Like on, this is before they, and I guess when they were still in beta and all this, but I remember they were building, their strategy was for their database server just to have one database server. And of course it was, these were, um, it was uh, what's the guy's name that does coding horror? He's you know he's a Microsoft guy, 
What's his name? Uh, is it Jeff? Uh, oh yeah. Uh, Jeff Atwood. Yeah. Atwood. There you go. Um, <clears throat> and he, uh, yeah, he, so he was going to build just this, this biggest data. So they, you know, some huge number of cores and the, you know, the most Ram they could get into it so they could have one database server. Um, and I don't know, I'm sure that, I don't know if they blog about their, about any kind of changes to that, but you know, at some point and that, that actually, I mean, they, that got them a long way down the road. Like they were at like, ridiculous volume on that one database server. Um, but I'm sure they've surely they have, they passed the point a long time ago when they had to start, you know, replicating that or, you know, some strategy where you, you gotta, you have to add nodes. You can't just, you know, have a super pod, you know, it's got to, you gotta have more <laughs> nodes. And it's funny cause I know Salesforce, they still have some parts of their infrastructure are still with just the, you know, buy a huge, the biggest machine you can get versus distributed out to just, you know, a lot of, you know, commodity nodes. Um, but I think, I think over time they are like in this example for their search engine, they, uh, they needed something that would would uh, could distribute jobs across you know lots of different cheap boxes. Yeah, and that that was another point as they start as we got into part two of the of the open source argument or articles is that because these were open source applica- or open source softwares that they were using, um, another advantage to them was was the fact that as they started using them for scalability. Um, they would come across bugs and of course they'd be able to fix them. But in addition to that, they're also able to improve their performance. So they're able to kind of go in and say, Hey, you know, I think we can tweak this, this and here and get more performance. So it's not just about being able to fix bugs quickly. It's not just about, you know, having, having this community and sharing it, you know, you can also kind of make things better than they were before. So that was one of the things that, that I saw out of the second article. I thought was pretty interesting. And, and it talked about a lot of different things. And, and I would argue to say that, a, this art, these series of articles will be a great drinking game. Um, every time they mention some Apache project, uh, take a shot and you'll get really drunk really quick because uh, just about everything that they use is, is, is Apache. Well, it's just, it's one of the big you know, incubators for yeah. a lot of these things. Um, yeah. That, so I just highlighted some, a few things I thought were just funny. So, you know, it's, it's, at the beginning of that first article I was talking about how in, in the, in the early years of the company, the standard issue workstation ran windows, but a few developers noticed that building the Salesforce application went much faster on a Ubuntu Linux. I'm like, that's, that's a weird went much faster. Who says went? I, I don't know when it comes to like software. I don't know. It was weird, but uh, it was funny. They, so I guess, and I didn't know this, a lot of them, cause I, I knew they were a Perforce shop, but um, it says a lot of their products internally use Git. Um, although the central repository is Perforce because of its size. Yeah, that's right. Git, Git can't uh, manage large code bases, right? Everyone knows that. Sarcasm. I know. <laughs> the Linux, the, uh, you know, the Linux kernel project uses Git. I, I don't know is, if it's a matter of just size of the project. It's, it's probably they just needed more management tools. There's probably just multiple layers of people just having to manage and approve and all those kind of things. Yeah, and I know Perforce has a lot of you know, enterprise features that Git yeah. doesn't have. But uh, anyway, that was funny. I also thought it was interesting. I noticed this, that uh, Salesforce uses Gin. And uh, anyone who's done GWT or GWT development they, they knows. Gin and Juice. Yeah. <laughs> so Juice is like, it's it just, it's um, basically just like, like dependency injection. It's it's like a, it's kind of like spring, except just, just the dependency injection part. Um, but Gin is... 
the same like dependency injection API, um, but it's for GWT and works completely differently. Like the run, it's it's basically static static compile time injection, which is it's hard to even understand. Someone try to explain it, but I was like, that's weird because that means that they use GWT. Like, wow, I don't, I don't, I've never seen a screen in Salesforce that I realized or even thought could have been GWT or even for that part, like, cause you know, GWT, when you build a GWT app, it's, it's a, it's like, you know, that was one of the original kind of tools and frameworks for a single page app. And, and you write it. And what's weird about GWT is you, you write, you know, you're writing all your code in Java or most of it. And it compiles down to, you know, HTML and JavaScript and CSS. But I've, I don't know. I just never knew that Salesforce had any GWT in there. And maybe they don't. Maybe I wouldn't be surprised if, I don't know. So they, these are very recent articles. So I mean, who's to say that we're not actually getting a sneak peek into some of the future stuff that, that we're going to get announced at Dreamforce that, that switching to a lot of these open source tools is going to provide. I was also pleased to see that they use, um, in addition. So they do use Makito for mocking, but they also use Mm -hmm. JMocket, which I think is, a superior mocking framework for Java. It's really, it's really the, it was born after the, um, the Java, the, the JDK or the JRE really became, you know, instrumentable, I guess mm-hmm. is the word. It's like this Java agent that you can use to in- instrument the VM, which is required to do some of these really cool and advanced um, mocking features. And like Makito, they bolted some of the stuff on after, but JMock was design- uh, designed from the ground up based on all those capabilities. And it's uh but it just hasn't, I think because it was a later to the game than these other ones, um, it, it just has not got the uptake. It's still, you know, it's, it's probably like maybe 5% of like Java projects or Java developers, you know, prefer JMocket, which always makes me sad because it is the best one. So do you think they'll, they'll take some of the lessons they learned or at least seen what some of these others have architected in these open sources and try and kind of present that forward to, to Apex? No, not at all. It's just completely separate teams, different people, different philosophies. You know, the, the, the engineers that are building Salesforce are, I mean, and now they, they do kind of report to in a way they're, I mean, their work is directed by like the people who are product managers at Salesforce. But I mean, you know, a typical product manager at Salesforce, he's, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out like what, you know, which, what's the next chatter element they're going to add to apex. It's, it's, or, you know, it has really nothing to do with how Salesforce builds Salesforce because right. the way Salesforce builds Salesforce is actually pretty cool. And they're using a lot of, you know, really great tooling, modern tooling with modern languages. And I just, I, you know, there's a gulf between that and what as Salesforce developers we get to, we get to use. Right. Um, one of the other things I found interesting, and this was getting into the third article was, um, the database. Um, they started talking a little bit more about open source tools that actually are NoSQL databases. Um, I think they, they mentioned uh, Apache HBase, um, which I guess they compared to Google's Bigtable. Um, and that's, that's a world I, I'm woefully ignorant on. So I'm not sure if you have any thoughts on that, on that stuff. But it sounds like you know some of the rumors we, we talked about before about them kind of reducing their dependency on things like Oracle databases or even SQL databases and all those kind of things that that they might move to a more object oriented system. Well, the thing is, like, I don't think they've got HBase or maybe even, um, yeah, I don't think they've got that in production because it even even says what will run on HBase, and they're talking about things that could potentially, and they're talking about basically like blob type stuff. 
Um, or, you know, they say they might, they might start with audit history or event tracking, but also, you know, big objects. So it, all of their, so that basically is excluding all of their relational data. That's still going to all be in, I mean, I think they're just so wrapped around Oracle, um, store procedure and security wise. It's just, I mean, I've seen just, I would talk to people, but I've also seen stack traces that I don't think I was supposed to see that indicate, I mean, just how embedded in Oracle, like Salesforce's, the whole security model is, it goes really, and it just, I think it has to for performance reasons. They really, I think use, you know, advanced Oracle features and it's really pushed it down to the database. A lot of these things that are what's required. I mean, cause Salesforce has got a pretty nice security model, but to implement that with as much performance as they, as they are able to get out of it is pretty freaking amazing, but it requires you to really be coupled with your database. So that's, I, I just, I think they, you know, they, we talked about the, how they kind of flirted with Postgres for a while. They're going to hire 50 Postgres engineers. Remember that? Right. Yep. I remember that. Um, and I think that just got, I think they looked at it and they, I don't know if it was just a proof of concept or they were going to just going to see how feasible it was, but I think they stopped that. And it's just, cause I don't think it is feasible. <laughs> could be wrong. That's just from what I see. Um, that's what it looks like. And I think you're right. I mean, this, the article is presenting it as, as these are things that they're doing. So they're either kind of in the process of experimenting on this stuff, or they're going to offload certain parts of the system to do this. Um, Maybe maybe things like the chatter and all that kind of stuff. Um, that that kind of heavy messaging system will be on that type of system, while your actual record data would still be in a, in a relational database. Um, and and that I I want to say there's probably evidence of that, and just just in the way that those APIs are completely different from from say a regular record API. But um, that's kind of my opinion on it. Yeah. But I, I guess to solve some of the relational issues they have, they have their Apache Phoenix, which is a, a project that they contributed to the community. Um, I don't really know much about it. I don't either. I just, it, um, I know Phoenix is basically like uh, just a, a SQL front end to right. a, to a non-relational yep. database. Um, That's cool. And then they also talked about mobile a little bit too. Um, didn't you flirt with Cordova or something on a project recently? Yeah. I've been actually using it quite a bit. Yeah. And I, th- I think they're, so the article said, incidentally, make heavy use of another library called Apache Cordova to blend web and native components. So that's interesting to see that that's in there. Yeah, I think, I think Salesforce One is probably built with Cordova. I mean, because, so, you know, Salesforce One, we were talking about this. It's not, it's not native. Right. Um, it doesn't use any of the native stuff. It look, and it looks and works the same on um, iOS, Android, um, Windows phone yet? I can't remember. I don't remember. Um, but... Um, yeah, you've got to, and they're not building native apps for each of those. They're, they're building one app. So they're using something like, and I'm sure that I mean, it says here, right? Um, the mobile SDKs for iOS and Android are both open. Uh, and incidentally, incidentally, we make heavy use of another open library, Apache Cordova. So yeah, it's, it's actually pretty nice. There's a lot of plugins for Cordova too. Yeah. So, so these articles are filled with just links to all, a ton of different libraries that they're using from the open source community. And actually I was, quite surprised that they're using that much open source software. Did it, did it come as a surprise to you? I mean, I, I thought maybe they were kind of writing their own things a lot more than, than what's evident in this articles. No, I mean, I've, I've seen presentations from um, some of the, I guess, engineering uh, guys at Salesforce um, over the past couple of years. And I've, um, they've, um, they've, they've been more open with um, blog posts like this. And also um, do you follow the Twitter account Salesforce engineering? I think that's what it is. 
I might not. I think I'm on some developer ones. I don't, I guess I got to find that engineering one and follow that one. Yeah. So they'll, they'll, um, talk about, you know, some of the, th- some of the, just the tools they're using and, um, but yeah, I think, I think a lot of the guys give talks around the, the Bay area, just about what Salesforce is doing. And especially since they're contributing more, they have a lot more to talk about. Um, so I, yeah, I knew a lot of this. I mean, it doesn't surprise me they're using this much open source because it's just, honestly, it's the way you can't, you can't build something like Salesforce on a Microsoft.net stack or something like that. Right. It's just got, if you really want, if you really want the best, you know, the best component for each part of your system and you are at, you know, essentially web scale, then uh, there's not a lot of, I mean, there's not a lot of, there's really no proprietary stack that's going to give you something that's going to work. I mean, like, I mean, I was, I've always thought about this, but like, you know, there's no way in hell that Salesforce could use something like uh, JPA Hibernate or like Entity Framework from the .NET side to do like their, um, to do their, you know, like as an o, as an ORM, um, for example. And the reason is because those those frameworks are designed for like typical enterprise apps. When you're talking about web scale stuff, I mean, there's just no way, especially with all the, I don't know, just all with all the joining and things can get. Uh, you know, it's, it's generating queries for, for you and they're just, uh, they, the security model that you can wrap into that is just not, it's not near as complex or as capable as Salesforce's security model. So I'm sure they're rolling like for things like that. Like I'm, I guarantee you they have a completely proprietary and super high performance ORM that they wrote themselves. Um, and you know, some of those things they probably won't open source because they may be considered part of their core value add. But it's cool to see them uh, either working on existing, you know, committing to existing open source products, and in a couple of cases, you know, releasing their own Aura and um, Phoenix. It's really cool because until a couple of years ago, Salesforce was a big user of open source, but they, I didn't, I mean, I, I don't have any metrics or stats, but you just, you don't, you know, you didn't see them contributing to back to things. And it sounds like they're really, there's, you know, a pretty big push to, to make sure they're um, contributing in the community uh, and, and there's probably somewhat of, a, somewhat of an ethic there now to make sure they're, they're contributing back because they're getting so much value. I mean, this, what they do would not be possible without open source. So it makes a lot of sense to give back. And so, yeah, it's really cool. I always enjoy reading these things that uh, whether it's, you know, presentations um, or blog posts, whatever about what Salesforce is doing on the, on the back end because uh, there's a lot of smart guys that work there. Guys and gals. Sorry. Gals. Oh yeah. You gotta be inclusive. I, and I see, I use the word guys in a mixed, I mean, I'll guys call, I'll, in general. I'll get on a, I'll get on a call with three women and say, Hey guys, I just, I don't, you know, mankind. Do you, do you differentiate mankind and womankind or it's just all mankind? Yeah, I think, I think, Oh, I don't know. You're gonna get me in trouble here. I think <laughs> that was more yeah. just a rhetorical tongue in cheek. We'll call I, mean, it I just saw something in the, I think it's in the third article, but um, a uh, Twitter buddy of mine, Kevin O'Hara got a shout out uh, in this article for the enforce, uh, which is like a node dot, you know, node dot JS. Um, what do they call them? Plugin or whatever for, uh, for node. Mm. That's cool. I'm actually, I want to do maybe next week we can talk about this, but I've got like a kind of a build system for when I do Salesforce work now that is largely based on, he released, um, a, a grunt plugin called like grunt Salesforce or something like that. And I'm using that to actually, I'm just using that to, to do um, some basic like deployment stuff, but I've got this 
full grunt setup that was largely inspired by some of the stuff he did uh, that I want to talk about sometime because it's made my Salesforce development a lot less painful. Yeah, we've been talking about different ways to do that, and you had some different ideas. So is this the the fruit of all those ideas that you finally got put together? It's it's more of the seed, um, which is weird because a fruit makes a seed, but it's the seed of what will be a new plant that will bear even uh, more tasty fruit. Well, cool. Yeah, we definitely have to cover that then. Uh, as far as the open source, there are three articles. They're short reads. I think everyone who's doing Salesforce development should read them because it'll give you a good idea of kind of the technologies that are behind it. It might even give you some indication on why they made some of the decisions they made or why they do certain things um, the way they do it. But yeah, I thought they were great articles. I mean, they, they weren't too long. They didn't get into suit too many details, but you know, for what they are, they're really, they're really informative. What else is going got? on? Yeah. Nah, me first. Uh-huh. I don't think I have anything else. Where are we at? We are at over now. Yeah. I think that's a show then. Stick a fork in it. Did you bring anything to drink? Um, no, so because of our recording time now, like it's usually my coffee time, so I don't want to keep talking about coffee. So I'll talk about a beer I had last night that I've had before, but um, just had it last night. It's really good. It's, um, it's a great summer beer. It's by Odell. And uh, where is Odell? Uh, they just started distributing to Texas uh, probably less than a year ago. Odell Brewing. Where are you, Odell? Oh, they're in Fort Collins. Yeah. Um, Every beer that I've had from them, and I've had a lot of them, um, I've really liked. But what I had last night was uh, the Loose Leaf. Let me make sure. Odell Loose Leaf. It's a, it's a pale ale. Um, no, it wasn't the Loose Leaf. Uh, let's see. Let me, I have to check my untapped now. It is the Loose Leaf. So they called, uh, well, it's weird. Some places call it an American Blonde Ale, but on untapped they call it this is the loose leaf session ale. So it's, it's you know, relatively low alcohol for a craft beer. Untapped calls it a pale ale. I think it's kind of a pale ale, but it's um, nice and crisp. It's almost like, uh, I think Pilsner drinkers would like this. This doesn't mean you like good Pilsners, but it's just, it's more hoppy than even kind of a hoppy Pilsner. So it's got a nice kind of herby crisp hop to it. Um, yeah, it's good. Uh, I say try anything by Odell's if you can get it where you are. No, oh, cool. Yep. I haven't had anything to drink, so I don't have much to offer. I did, though, last night on the History Channel, I watched this new reality show. I don't know if it's new or not, but it's it's about this brewing company, Dark Horse in Michigan, I want to say it is. Have you heard of them? I, I've heard of them very recently, actually. Yeah, so it's it's an interesting reality show, but so some of the... What they do is they have this, they have these like specialty brews, of course, that they sell in stores and things like that. But they also have this like this annual event where they have like a bunch of beers that you can only get at that point in time. And then they also kind of make these, I want to call them gimmick beers. And I, I wanted to get your opinion on gimmick beers because they're like, they'll, they'll make, like in this particular episode, they made a pancake and bacon flavored. It, you know, one was pancake flavored, one was bacon flavored. What do you think about those kind of beers? Some of them are terrible and some of them, are really good. So um, there is a, a local brewery called um, it's they're called Armadillo L Works, I think. Mm-hmm. Let's see, uh, and they make a beer. I think pretty new. Actually, I think Armadillo is in Denton, if I remember correctly. But they brew in Deep Ellum's facilities. Anyway, kind of weird. Um, but it's called Brunch Money. And it, it just tastes like a big old yummy stack of pancakes. And it, 
it seems like it would be gross, but it's actually, in fact, I just looked it up on Beer Advocate, which is really the best place to get beer reviews. And it gets a 92. Really? Yeah. And it's, it's, so it's really good. A lot of those, though, are, are just bad. They're just bad. See, my curiosity is peaked with, with those kind of beers, but I don't know. I, I feel like I got to try one at some point just to, but I, I want it to be a good one. So, and yeah, like Rogue, uh, Rogue Brewing has this whole line of, uh, of beers. Um, like the most recent one was called Voodoo. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess the line is called Voodoo. So, Voodoo Donut Pretzel, uh, Voodoo Donut Chocolate. Voodoo Donut Maple Bacon Ale, which I just had recently, and I did not like very much. In fact, it gets a 66 on Beer Advocate, so I, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of gimmicky stuff. People are, I mean, the the whole yeah, craft brew movement, I mean, they're, they're unearthing like almost ancient and like, what's the word, uh, when something dies off forever. Um, extinct? Yeah, extinct styles. They're like, like you know, um, Omagong in New York, they brought back the Saison virtually from the grave. And now, and that was maybe five years ago, and now Saison, like, I mean, every craft brewery's got to have at least one Saison and some have like a half a dozen Saisons. Some soured, some light, some, some you know, high alcohol, some sessionable. Yeah, and so there's just, there's all kinds of crazy experimentation with, you know, sours are now the big thing. Of course, we've kind of already seen the the IPA craze, although I think it's still going on, but because so many people are just diehard lifelong IPA fans, but I, like I think it's, I do too. Um, I just think they peaked and, and the real beer nerds are on to, you know, they're, they're trying to expand their palate. So they're on to other stuff. I'm not a beer nerd because <laughs> I still drink IPAs. <laughs> I want to aspire to be a beer nerd, but <clears throat> I don't have enough time. Oh, there's always time. That's why I'm not a beer nerd. I don't make the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. All right, well, man. With that, good day, sir. Good day, sir!